Um, Our text this morning is from Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. You'll find that on page 943 in the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, sorry, those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody says for Steve, you can be seated. <laughs> just a little longer, just a little bit more. Okay. Um, now you can sit. Uh, Again, I'm Pastor Ransom, thankful that you're all here this morning. We're continuing in our series on Romans 6. We find ourselves in verses 12 through 14. Um, uh, Most of the time for my personal Bible reading, I use CBR, Community Bible Reading. I know many of you use that. I think it's one of the least burdensome ways to get to the whole of Scripture in a timely manner. And so if you're on CBR, you've been in Exodus this last couple weeks, Uh, Specifically this week, we were in the plagues. That's kind of fun. And something struck me this week as I was reading Exodus 9. Um, Every time, I would say most every time, God gives a command, especially when he gives a command to Pharaoh here in these passages, he's crystal clear with the command. Now, look at this, Exodus 9, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. And then he gives the consequence. If you refuse and hold on to them, he promises a severe plague upon the livestock in this case. So um, God, when it comes to commands, is not ambiguous. Now think about the story of Exodus. If you're familiar, there are things about God that are mysterious. It says in Exodus that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is a situation for humans that sometimes is hard to understand. It's a mysterious thing. It's veiled be like, okay, I don't quite understand what God is doing. It requires us to trust him. We don't have all the information. That's a sermon for another day. But what I want us to see is that when he deals with Pharaoh, When he deals with us, God's commands, what he wants us to do is clear, not ambiguous. Today we're dealing with commands, okay? Today we're dealing with commands from God. And so they're straightforward, but these commands have a context. It's especially important in the New Testament. We'll talk about that in a minute, but what's the context? Let's think about what we've learned so far from Romans 6. The first week, we had to consider the possibility that our sin is much more destructive than we give it credit for, and that God's love is deeper and more eternal than we actually think. It doesn't run out on us. Last week, we wrestled with the idea that we're, by by grace through faith, united with Christ, and every spiritual blessing is ours by faith in him. This is the context that we'll see today with, on which we're to do battle with our sins. This is the battlefield. That's the context. In the context of the destructiveness of our sin, the depth of God's grace, the reality of those who are in Christ, that we have every spiritual blessing on that battlefield, we hear a battle cry this morning. Let me pray for us. 
Lord, thank you for the people who are here, those listening online. Thank you for this opportunity to learn about you. Thank you that you're clear in your commandments to us. We tend sometimes to react like Pharaoh and uh, think you're giving us commands with a big wink, but honestly, you're just telling us what you desire from us. And I pray this morning you'd open our hearts, not only to what you'd have us do, but the context in which you're asking us to do it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the New Testament, when there's instruction, generally uh, two things are linked together. The fancy words are indicatives and imperatives. Let me explain what that is. An indicative is a promise. It's something that's already true. So when you get a command, which is an imperative, so you have promises and commands hand in hand. God rarely says, here's what I want you to do, but doesn't remind you of what he's already done. That's how the New Testament gives instruction. It's it's no different here. But let's think about this concept for a moment. Let's think about the different kinds of churches we've had experience with or the different kinds of Christians we've met. Uh, There are some churches, Christians, who major on moralism. It's called legalism. They say, if you've got to do this, do that. They look at the commands in Scripture, which are there, and they say, look, we must do this. And the either implied or explicit uh, answer to that is, or God won't love you, or you do it so God will love you. But listen, they're missing the indicatives. They're missing the promises. Commands without promises is legalism. The opposite end of that, promises without commands, is license. Well, God's love is so powerful. God's love is so deep. I don't have to do anything. Let me ask you these two questions. First of all, are, is it true that we must obey God? Yes, it is. Is it true that God's grace, his love for us, is eternally set on us? Yes, it is. Those two things go hand in hand, and it's not different here in Romans 6. So as we look at verse 12, it actually looks like we're starting with a command, but it's linked with verse 14. It's in a context. You see the verse, the, the word therefore, and so really what looks like a command is actually a promise. Let's look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Uh, The therefore there is setting this verse in a context. We've talked about some of that. If we look at the context of all of Romans, what what has Paul been talking about so far? He's been talking about the reality of man's sin, the reality that if we got what we deserved, like this microphone just did, if we get what we deserve, fairness is condemnation. That's fair. What humans deserve, what we've earned by our sin is condemnation. He then talked about the depth of God's mercy, how God, by grace and his merciful, loving heart and out of his character, instigated the free gift of salvation. He offers it to us in Jesus Christ. And when we come to Jesus by grace through faith, we're unified with him. That means grace and love and forgiveness. All those things earned by Christ, offered to Christ by God, are ours for eternity because we're in him. That's the context. The power of sin is broken. And so in that context, verse 14 is the follow-up, and it says this, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. And so as we read verse 12, we really ought to read it like this. Since sin does not rule over you, since you are free from the power of sin, since spiritual blessings of Christ are yours in him, followed up by verse 13, the command. 
So there's a context of grace, a context of what has already been done. It's a promise, it's an indicative surrounding. It's like a bookend of truth, bookend of promises, a bookend of God's work around what God is going to call us to do. And so here we get to verse 13, where there is a positive and a negative version of the same command. We're going to look at these, the, the, the different facets of this command and then talk about its application. Verse 13, do not present. We'll stop there. What does this word present mean? It means the active positioning of an object on purpose. The active positioning of an object on purpose. Think, um, I actually didn't, I didn't even think about this connection, but think about the difference between tossing your keys on the table and doing a flower arrangement. All right, lady, they, you just heard they're doing a flower arrangement class. So when you're arranging flower, when you toss your keys, it doesn't matter how they land, it just matters they land on the table. When you're arranging a flower, you definitely want to make sure the rhododendron is near the baby's breath, right? Is that, Steve told me that one. That's good life advice. Um, add that one to the choose your own adventure, ladies, okay? Rhododendron, baby's breath, always together, okay? Um, wow, let me take a drink of water, please. Um, placing an object in a particular position on purpose. We are called, church, because, because we are free from the condemning power of sin to put our lives in a particular position on purpose. A particular position on purpose. We're called to present our lives. Present our lives, not to sin, but to God present our lives on purpose. Our life isn't a tossing of the keys. It's an arranging. We are free from the condemning power of sin. Therefore, for the first time in our lives, as those who are in Christ, we're free to position ourselves on purpose. Free will comes through Christ. The question might be, okay, well, what exactly, like, what does this look like? What positions do we find ourselves in? And I was actually thinking about the, it's a bit of a silly song if you grew up in Sunday school, but be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go. Be careful little ears what you hear. It may be silly, but that gets to the root of what this verse is about. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little heart what you love. All those things. We position ourselves on purpose in every area of our lives, whether we realize it or not. And so it says here, do not present your members to sin. And then, of course, the positive is here, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God. What is this members thing? It's talking about our physical bodies our physical bodies. One author this week said that our, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, our sin needs a medium. Our sin needs something to act. We're not spirit. We don't only sin in spirit. Our sin has physical desires and it needs something to act. And that's our bodies, our members, our physical bodies. Our bodies, how we interact with the world. So when we hear from 2 Timothy 2.22 and it says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, it's not talking about like simply a spiritual fleeing. It's talking about a physical fleeing. Run away. I like how John Piper puts it. Uh, by the way, Desiring God, uh, his website has a lot of great articles on fleeing sin. So I'd recommend that to you. But he says this, don't prove your purity in a pornography shop 
or your commitment to simplicity at an upscale mall. Do you see the concept? If you, if, if you are putting yourself, your members, you're presenting them to the things that you struggle with, we shouldn't be surprised when things go a certain way. Our desire to sin drives our physical bodies to act. Paul wants us to be aware of the fact that our bodies play a role, the cravings that we feel, the desires that we have, the deep longings that will not satisfy. Those things are sinful, but they also require us to act. So we seek out food or entertainment or comfort or ease. The, 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 the list goes on. And what is that about? It's about satisfying our sinful desires. So this is not a call to punish our bodies, okay? Think about the scarlet letter, the priest who had feelings for the, for the widow and he would whip himself, flagellate himself. This is not about asceticism or defeating our flesh. This is a call to awareness, awareness. Christian, we talked about our reality last week. We have been freed from the power of sin, fact. And in that freedom, we're called to reposition our lives away from those things that are unrighteous and toward God on purpose. What does this look like? What does repositioning look like? I go back to Romans 6.11, that word consider. Paul wants us to consider, to reckon what it means that we are dead to sin and alive in God. So if you want some practical views of this, it, it looks like this, daily observation of our body's desires. What do we want? <laughs> What do we want? What do we, the, and the phrase goes through our mind often, all of our minds, if I just had X, I would feel Y. That's, that's, that is a good moment to observe. Okay, what am I actually believing in this moment? What is my sinful desire? What does my sinfulness want my members to do? How am I presenting myself? A daily observation of how we're positioning ourselves toward the sins that we struggle with, a daily choice to avoid those sources of struggle. If you struggle with jealousy, I would not spend an inordinate amount of time on Facebook, okay? You see? It also involves asking brothers and sisters to walk with you in prayer and accountability. Help me, brothers and sisters, we're in this together. It involves daily confession of our sins. It involves daily reminder that the old self is dead. It involves a daily reminder that sin does not reign. Daily reminders of God's promises. Do you understand that this is why we read our Bibles? Not to impress God, because we forget so easily. We need the source. We need the information, all of it in there, to be on our minds all the time, forming us, shaping us, reminding us. I think sometimes we don't take some of our sins seriously. And I even think sometimes when we talk about the issue of sin, people might be asking the question, why do we have to be so serious as reformed people all the time? Well, these next few words we're gonna look at give us an answer. Continuing in verse 13. Do not present, position on purpose, your members, your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. 
but present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It's interesting that, the, uh, that most Bibles choose this word instruments in the English. Um, we're not talking about trumpets or oboes, okay? Um, we're talking about weapons. This word instrument means a weapon. It means weapon. Our actions are weapons. Our actions are not neutral. Sin is not an oopsie daisy. It has real meaning. It's an assault on the kingdom of God. Every single sin, sin of commission, sin of omission, on accident or on purpose, sin is a weapon against the kingdom or a weapon, righteousness is a weapon for the kingdom. And so Paul really, he continues in chapter seven on this topic. He wants us to understand that our our fight against sin is a war that we wage. It's not just against sin, it's a war for righteousness. It's a battle, it's a fight. The destruction of the old self, it's a long, painful process. It involves self-denial. It involves constant reminders of who God is and what he has done. It, it involves saying no to that sin that in the moment, man, it seems like a good thing to do. It seems like a good thing to do. It involves humbling task of confession to God and to confession to others. Listen, church, we can't get around this truth. Positioning ourselves away from sin and toward God is going to at times feel extremely inconvenient. Extremely inconvenient. We're serious about sin because our actions are weapons either for righteousness or for unrighteousness. There's no neutral action in our lives. At this moment, as I was writing the sermon, I felt like, man, this is a lot. <laughs> and some of you are trying to doze off on purpose at this point, so you don't have to hear anymore. But listen, what's the relief? That's the question. What's the relief? This feels heavy. This feels like a slog. And we get to Romans 7, and we can echo Paul's sentiment. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Paul feels the pressure. He understands the depth of sin. He understands the burden of sin, his desire for sin. Even when he doesn't desire it, his body's still doing it. You can feel that pressure building. What releases that pressure? The next phrase of that famous verse is this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the relief? What's the relief to this burden of the sin that we carry with us? What's the burden to the heaviness, the desperation we feel in the fight? Praise the Lord, we need Jesus and he makes himself available. Relief comes from grace. Now we throw this word around a lot, especially here, it's the name of our church, but this is not lip service. Real relief comes from this real thing called grace. Look again at verse 14. The promise, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Real relief from grace comes from grace, not from the law. What does the law demand? The law looks at our failure, the law looks at our sin, and it demands an answer for our betrayal. Rightfully does that. Here's what God told you to do. You did not do it. What's your answer? 
But Jesus, what did he do? He faced the law for us. He faced the punishment that we deserved for us. The law has been satisfied in Christ and Paul's point is this, we are under grace and when we are under grace through faith, instead of condemnation, what do we get? We get adoption as sons and daughters in Christ. Instead of wrath and deserved punishment, we get God the Father's unconditional love stamped on us for eternity. All of that done by grace. Grace is the reason for the battle. Grace is the fuel for the battle. Grace is the motivation for the battle against our sins. And so church, as we understand this concept, every moment that we're struggling against sin, understand it's a realization of new life. It's a realization of new life, which is ours under God's grace. So let's ask this question, what are we fighting for? What are we fighting against sin for? Don't answer out loud, rhetorical question coming up. Are we fighting to stop sinning? Are we fighting to stop sinning? The answer is no. Some of your minds just exploded. Okay, listen, that's not the primary reason we fight sin. Because if that's the primary reason, guess what? You and I, either we're gonna have false pride, I did it, no you didn't, or shame, I'm not, it's not working. It's not working, I'm failing, I'm failing. Why do we fight sin? That goal isn't good enough. That goal is not good enough to stop sinning. In fact, we don't have to worry about that because guess what? There's a date on our calendar in God's mind where we are going to stop sinning. You know when that is? When we go to meet him. So we've got other priorities here on earth. We are fighting sin because we are under grace. We're fighting sin because we're under grace. We have a new identity. We are no longer slaves. We're free. We have a new purpose. A, a, a re-realized purpose. We're no longer inmates of sin. We're the children of the king. We have a renewed purpose. We're no longer sentenced to death. We're reckoned good citizens of the kingdom. We're no longer weapons for unrighteousness. We are weapons for righteousness. We are fighters of sin, church, because that's who we are. It's who we are. We fight sin because that is what God has recreated us to do. We're no longer destined for destruction. We're given life forever with the source of life. We're no longer living for today. You realize the goal of stopping sinning is actually a goal that's rooted in today. There's a bigger goal than that. There's a bigger picture than that. We are investing in eternity. Our sin is an attack on the kingdom. Our following of Christ's commands is a, is a building of the kingdom. We're called to act because of grace. We're called by grace to take an inventory of our sin. How can we do that? Because God has grace on us. We can fearlessly look at our lives and say, yeah, I know. <laughs> Lord, I know. 
I know that one is a bad one. We can recognize the truth that we are unified with Christ as a gift. And from that place of grace, full blessedness, the guaranteed outcome, we are freed to invest in eternity by fighting against our sins every day. There's always the possibility with a sermon series on sin that many of you feel that burden. You feel the pressure of, oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of sin? Your pastor's not unaware of that. I feel it too. (laughs) Remember, I'm the first one to hear the sermon. So um, where do we go if we feel that pressure this morning? Where do we go? We go to the Lord's table. We go to the Lord's table. The Lord's table, the Lord's supper, it's a visual promise. It's a visual reminder. It's our indicative. This is the context of our battle. This is the gospel made visible. Uh, We have a need to receive from Jesus. We need a sacrifice that we can't give. We need someone to satisfy the law we've broken because we can't satisfy it. And what do we have here? We have a visible reminder of Jesus coming God in the flesh, breaking his body in love for you, shedding his blood in love for me because we can't do it. It's a call to to be nourished for energy for the fight. And so this morning, If you're burdened like I'm burdened, we need Jesus. And he gives us himself for free. So this morning, if you know that you need someone to fight for you, we don't have the energy to fight in the way we need to fight. We need someone to fight for us because we're broken, desperate sinners. And if we know that our one warrior is Jesus Christ and he's done the fight, he's won the fight, he's completed what we need. If we know and believe that, we've declared it publicly, we've been baptized, we've confessed our sins, which is part of the battle, we've received assurance, which is part of the battle, you are called to come and eat. Come and eat, you need it, I need it. Come and be renewed. This morning, let the bread and the cup renew your motivation. On the flip side of that, if you don't believe these things about yourself or about Jesus, if you have a a situation in your life where you are saying, you know, I just don't want to fight this sin. I like it too much. The scriptures make it clear. It's not, this is not for you. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) In fact, it's dangerous to take it. So if that's you this morning, please abstain from the Lord's Supper, but don't stop there. We'll have an elder up front, Jonathan and Elizabeth, his wife will be up front. They'd love nothing more than to talk to you about that. I'll be outside greeting folks. I'd love nothing more to have lunch with you and talk about that. Don't leave it at, I guess I don't get bread and juice. There's eternal significance 
in that reality. What I'd like us to do is just take a moment to pray to ourselves quietly. We've already confessed our sins this morning corporately. Let's just take another moment. Let's confess our sins to God. Let's renew our commitment in grace to fight those sins. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his sacrifice. Thank God for his gospel. And then we'll join back together for the institution of the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, only one thing is for sure in this life. And that is that every human being is broken and overwhelmed by sin and we have only one savior, Jesus Christ. And we can be sure of something, that you love us because you enacted the one salvation that was possible. We could only be saved by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he came. He lived a long and hard life in the first century. He lived for the will of you, his father. He lived with a purpose to save God's people, to be a brother and a friend to us. He died a death. He broke his body willingly. He shed his blood willingly, but not without a desperate plea at the final moment, if there's any other way, but he did it anyway. What a torturous death it was, one that we deserved, and yet here we are participating in a sacrament that he calls us to participate in, one that recalls not only our sin, which is sad, but his wonderful grace. And you've given us delicious elements to remind us of how sweet this gift is for us. And I pray a blessing over this time this morning that it would be just that, a renewal of motivation, a renewal of our identity in you, a renewal of our understanding of grace, a renewal in our daily fight for the kingdom against unrighteousness and our fight against sin as we work to present our bodies, our members, our lives to God on purpose. Thank you for recreating us, giving us a new identity so that we could and do fight sin. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.